you know, the whole time, can you hear me? The whole time we were singing that, I was thinking, Lord, hear the song and the prayer of your people. You want to know him more? You want to touch him? Isn't that really what we want to do while we're here? And isn't that really what we want to do every day? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, who is indeed the Lord of us all, Lord, you hear our song that we want to know you, Lord. We want to, want to meet you. We want to see you, Lord, because we want to be like you. You're our Lord. And when we say that, we want that to be the truth, Lord, that you are indeed the Lord of our lives. So, Lord, I want you to search us this morning as we examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves, Lord, with you. And if there's any hurtful way in us, Lord, if there's anything in that's a part of us that's not good to be in front of you, then, Lord, show us. And, Lord, we want to turn away from that and turn to you because you are the only one who can save us, who has saved us. You're the only one who can be the Lord of the life we would have in Jesus Christ to come before our God. Lord, if there's any part of us that's not right, clear it from us, I pray. And as we open your word, oh Lord, I pray that you flow into and fill hearts that are just laid out before you. Lord, may all the baggage that we have be left behind. And Lord, may we come to you with complete open heart. And you teach us, Lord. We want to hear you. So Lord, may these be your words this morning as we look in your written word, your holy word, your spoken word from God. May we hear you, Lord, and may we do nothing but bring you glory. In your precious name we ask and plead and rest. Amen. We're going to step outside of Hebrews this morning for a good reason. We're going to take communion. And for those of you who may not know, I don't think there's anyone who doesn't know, we take communion here every week together. Uh, in obedience to Christ. He says, you know, come before me and remember me when you're doing that, what I did before you. But it also says back up in 1 Corinthians 11, we're not supposed to come before God if we have anything against a brother or a sister, someone that's walking with us. And a lot of times I think we've been doing that even though we had something against our brother or sister in Christ. So this morning, when we, before we do that, I want to just share with you a few things about walking together in Christ and what that means. I'm taking this from what we read earlier in Ephesians 4. And I want you to consider all of this about what questions we're asking as we walk, as we go forward together as a body of believers serving our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Not serving ourselves, not serving anybody, but Jesus Christ. As a believer in Jesus Christ, 
everyone who has made that and have received his forgiveness of sins and received them, no way we could have ever earned them. It's something we receive as, as forgiveness from Christ for all of our sins, which we need to confess. Because I don't know about you, I still sin. Not on purpose, not as a matter of practice, but as a matter of just goofing. So and I'm sure everybody here can say that same thing. I want us to be able to come together as we take the Lord's Supper, as we take communion as believers in the same Lord, the same God, the same union. Because the Lord's brought us all here together. I don't think, I know it's not a surprise to him that everybody that's here this morning was going to be here. Even the ones that came late, he knows that. But we're all here together. We're all here together, and we're here to serve him. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm going to read Ephesians 4, 15. And, okay, good. Now I can see it. Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up in him who is the head. That is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul has said what, what I had read for us earlier, back up in verse 3, he said, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If the church is the body of Christ, unity is essential. It's vital to us walking with Jesus Christ and doing his work. If the church is the body of Christ, unity is essential. You can't do it without it. To be guilty of schism, that's splitting, dividing, or any kind of division is a sin. 1 Corinthians 12 makes it real clear. I'm not going to read that to you this morning, but you should go and read that. Most of the New Testament makes that really clear, folks. Our Lord, in his high priestly uh, prayer in John 17, said that they might be one. That's Jesus praying for you and me, that we might be one in him. The picture in this passage uses words that talk about the body, the human anatomy, to talk about the church itself. Um, this passage makes understanding unity in the body of Christ perfectly clear. Everybody here has a body, right? And all the parts, you know, are there. They're all attached, working together, right? That's where this really makes, makes sense. We should never think of the church as being an assembly of parts. Then it becomes mechanical, and it's not mechanical. It's not an institution of parts and everything that have been brought together to work. It won't work. You know, we spend too much of our time thinking, oh, well, you know, I want to be like that church over there. Boy, they got a great light show, got a great band. You know, they got a lot of, lot of things to do during the week, right? You know? By the way, we we do too. By the way, let me say something that's completely off script. You know what I love about this group? 
they are, are leading you to worship our God. They are just leaders. They're leaders in worship, aren't they? Because, and here's the thing. In a concert, the audience is, is you, and the performers are them. You're the performers. They're the leaders, and God is the audience. And that's the way they see it. I'm so glad to be worshiping with people that have that in their hearts when they worship. But if we go, we try to make it, you know, a light show, or I'm sorry to use that. I, I got that from my brother Ed. I love him. <laughs> and, and that's exactly right. I'm not, I'm not throwing. Thank you. <laughs> but you know what? If we want something another church has, that would be us trying to make this all a mechanical thing. It won't work. It never will work. His body is not just a simple collection of parts. And unity, bringing them all together, is just not a matter of how good a collection we have. Adding parts to the body. That's not what it's all about at all. And we never should think of unity as just in terms of the removal of the parts that aren't working. Or, or divisions. That's also wrong. Uh, if, if we act on the idea that the, the dividing up the church and separate, separate, separating out the bad parts just to get rid of, of divisions, we're wrong. Uh, it won't work in the body, folks. Our body's been put together by Jesus Christ. And all those body parts report to him, not to other body parts. You know, think about that for a minute. I was thinking about this when I was writing this out. You know what? Got a bad brain? Oh, just cut it out. Won't work anymore, will it? Yeah, you know, too slow a walker? Your legs aren't working right. Cut them off. You can't divide the body up. The body needs to be working together. And it needs to be going to the head to know what it's supposed to be doing at any given point, any given time. You know what? Unity is the result of life in the church. Unity is the result of the life in the body that Christ has given us. <laughs> all the good feelings and all that's not a result of, of the unity. Unity is a result of Jesus Christ being in charge. You know what, if we allow ourselves to be led by the current culture, the way the church is right now, we're going to wind up in the same place that it was when they had revivals before because it won't work. That's pretty bold to say that, isn't it? We have more churches now than we've ever had, right? And they're in better shape, believe it or not. Even though, even though the attendance is going down in churches, the churches, as a, in general, are more financially sound than they've ever been. Huh. So what is the church? It's the body of Jesus Christ. You know what? I think about people in the past who've had this same problem, and they stood alone to fight the culture. Can you think of any? You know, we just celebrated Luther's 500th anniversary of nailing those things to the wall, the thesis to the wall. But Luther stood alone for a long time. You know why? Because his head was Jesus Christ. He was doing what Christ told him to do. 
It's true all throughout the church history. If we think separately and we think that we're going to do, tell other parts of the body what to do without Christ being the head, then we're going to wind up in a really bad place, aren't we? Church has been there throughout history. And we ought to do that sometime, just go back and look at church history and see how the Lord's treated it. Here's the first and foremost thing about being a part of the body of Christ. You have to believe in Jesus Christ. You have to believe that he is Lord. He is a sovereign God. He's the one that died for your sins. He's the one who lived as a man just like you and me, came to this earth, performed miracles in front of everybody that only could come from God to prove that he is. He would lived a sinless life. He was killed, died, and rose from the grave. He conquered death for you and me. You have to know him as Savior and Lord. You know what? If you've been carrying around a lot of sins and you feel guilty for them and all that, okay, give them to Jesus. He's already died for them. And then believe in him. Accept his forgiveness. That's the part. It's really hard. How could anybody forgive me all the things that I've done wrong? Jesus can, and he has. And that walk, that makes you a whole new creature because you die to your past. And he gives you new life where you can walk boldly. Why are we walking more boldly in Jesus Christ? Nothing can beat Jesus. Nothing. He is the high priest that we've talked about. He's superior to everything that we've ever thought of or ever could think of or could ever imagine. None of us can walk in unity if we don't know Jesus. And we don't go to him every day. You know, I'm a child of God. The reason I can say I'm really a child of God is that I need discipline every day. And he's the one that provides it. I'm glad to say that too. Here's the problem we're having. We need to be talking about unity in the church. And we don't really even know what that is. I know this. I can't talk. I can't have fellowship, real genuine fellowship in Christ, if someone didn't believe that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God's son, that Jesus is sovereign, God is sovereign, and Jesus is died on the cross for you and me. And he lives today as our Savior and Lord. I don't know. We can't really have any reasonable fellowship, can we? Fellowship and reasoning, can we? Now, we can disagree on some of the theology the way we've understood it, but if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, it's useless. It just can't happen. We have to be both rooted and grounded in the truth. And who did Jesus say he he is? I'm the way and the truth and the life. You want to know the truth? Good news for those who have accepted Jesus Christ. He's a person. And you can know him, and you can know him personally. And here's the thing, what we read. We have to speak this truth. We have to speak Jesus and share it with people around us, and we have to do it in love. And here's the thing. You're not going to know how to love if you don't know the love of Jesus Christ. You know what? You can love the people around you that you're walking with in a right way, 
only if you know Jesus Christ because he's the only one that teaches us how to love in the right way. It's not in the magazines. It's not in the grocery store waiting lines or any of that stuff. Love is from Jesus Christ, and it's a sacrificial love, and it's in the heart. You know, we went to court this week, and I'm not going to give you all those details unless you ask, but we went, and we went because we had to bring something against a brother who called himself a brother. Whether or not he is is doubtful. He actually claims that he isn't. But here's the thing. We went there not out of fear because he had threatened our lives. We went there out of love because we want him to know Jesus. You know what? That's how you love somebody. Even when they're beating you or threatening you or whatever, you want them to know Jesus. I want some. I don't want anybody dying and going to hell. I don't not anybody. Even people that I think I might hate. I don't know of anybody I hate right now, but I don't know, maybe the Lord will show me. I'm kidding. <laughs> you see the irony in that? He won't. All he's going to show you is people that need his love. And isn't that why we're here? Yeah, we are. We're to be walking like that together. When we have that right relationship with him, all of us, now we're going to find our union with him. And that's where we're going to celebrate together. Uh, We are having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them when it comes to that. And then we bring that before Christ, and he's offering his forgiveness. John says in his second letter, we're not to have fellowship even with uh, them in our homes. Hmm. And if they don't preach and hold the truth of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, we're to understand this doctrine of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is knowing him and being led by him. Um, (coughs) Union is not the matter of organizations, or it can't be institutionalized. It all comes from one head, and that's Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. We need to be like I've I've read... I always go back to John 15 when I come to this thing about unity. You remember what John 15 is about? It's where Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And, you know, I, I never was really a farmer, but I always wanted to be one because <laughs> we, we're one generation away from farmers. And you know, we grew up in the big city of Little Rock. <laughs> but here's the thing, even Little Rock, yeah, let me, let me go off script just a minute here. As many of you know, one time I was in TV business, and, and when I would go to other towns, I can tell you this. You, the first thing I do is I watch TV, not to watch so much what they had on, but you look at the commercials, and that tells you everything about the, the local community. When I go back to Little Rock, about 50% of the commercials were for uh, insecticides, fertilizers, <laughs> you know, all that. So that's the kind of, it's still an agrarian society. Um, I love John 15 for that very reason. Um, let me tell you another story about John 15. One time we, when we first came to Maryland, we lived out on Ken Island, and we, we, we got a couple acres that had, we had the apple trees, but they were all dying. Everybody said, they're not going to live. They can't live at all because they're, 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 there's no fruit. They're not bearing any fruit. So I read John 15, and it says, cut away all the dead branches. And I did, and that tree looked bald. It looked like something you might put out in your front yard at Halloween. It it was pretty bad. 
But you know what? The next year it produced more apples than it ever had in, in its past. You know why? Because all the nourishment from the trunk and from the branches was now going to fruitful places. When you're connected to the flow and the life that comes from the trunk, from God himself, then you're going to find incredible things happening in your life. But you have to connect to him, and you have to let the life flow come through through him and flow into your heart and to your being. That's what really John 15 is all about, isn't it? We have to be connected to Jesus, and we have to have his life flowing into us all the time we're going to wither away and we're not going to produce any fruit so here's the question we need to be asking about unity here right here in our our boulevard community and that is are you receiving your lifeblood from jesus your life flow from jesus christ are you going to him with everything because he's the head and the question is can i have fellowship with someone else here no the first question is am i having fellowship with jesus christ You know, it didn't make any difference about whether we can have unity together if we don't have unity in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? With all that said, we need to talk about the spiritual life that comes through all of that. Life must come before unity because, after all, unity is a result of life. Lord Jesus Christ is the life of the church. It's his church. It's not our church. It's his church. And Christ is, a, is the source of all the energy and all the power that we be growing to him. And that's how he will grow his church. If he's the one that's supplying all the power and all the energy. Look what it says in verse 15. If he didn't... Uh, is Ephesians 4.15. It says, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no life in the church. It makes me think of John 15 again, doesn't it? All the life flows into the branches and into the fruit. You know what? I think the church has become confused over the difference between activity and life. Same difference between what is done by a machine and what's done by a man or, or what's done by a machine and what's done by that tree that's bearing fruit. The flesh produces works like a machine does but the spirit produces fruit like a tree does everything that's spiritual is a result of life and of growth you heard people say that they they like the church over on the road because they have so much going on you know they, they have something to do every week every day of the week you know i my I have friends and even family that have gone to churches like that. They seem to have so much activity. But, you know, then the question is, what, what is it that they're doing? Oh, they have lots of games. And they have lots of music and concerts. and They even go out on tours and, and, and go out and help people build homes or something like that. It's not a, not a slap against that. But, you know, why are you going? Well, I've never been there before. 
So was that a mission or was that a tour? Sorry, I'm being hard, aren't I? It looked like they're confusing activities with the manifestation of the spiritual life within us. Let me tell you what, if you want to have to help someone, you want to do mission, come here. Lord's put us here for a reason, I believe, folks. And that's to tell them about Jesus Christ. There's so many people that need to know Jesus Christ, not when their next paycheck's coming or where their next meal's coming from or something like that. Don't misunderstand me at all. Jesus Christ will take care of you for eternity if you know him and you know his love and then nothing else matters, does it? I've been feeling that the Christian church in general has simply been preserving everything as an institution. We've kind of got it. We fit it in this lot and this lot and this lot. Boom, we have people and we're having fun and we're having games and all that. You know what? How many hearts are being changed? We don't have a survey or a poll or anything they'll tell us about. Hearts have been changed. You know why? That's the Christ business. That's the head's business. We're just here to serve him. You know, the whole thing that the church that I can see in my <coughs> lifetime, and even before it, if I go back in history, is that it's become an expert at holding people's attention together. You know, by holding things, we're trying to, to track young people. You know, and so we're, they, un- under, they fail to understand the teaching of the Christian church, and that's Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. He's the only way there is to be saved. Christ is the life of the church, and there's no real life relationship with him. There will be no life at all in the church. And we have to be really important about how critically important. We have to be really sure about and clear about how that important that life is to the church itself. But the church is not talking about life, is it? It's not talking about life in Christ. It's focused on numbers. How many people go to your church? You know what? I told a guy, and you'll have to forgive me. I, I made fun of that one time. I had a guy that came to me and asked me how many people come to your church. And let me tell you where I got my inspiration. <laughs> Lyndon Johnson one time was getting on a plane down down here in, uh, in D.C., and he went out to the air base, and he's walking toward the wrong plane. And the guy next to him says, sir, your plane's over here. And he says, son, they're all my planes. <laughs> and someone asked me, how many people go to your church? You know what I said? All of them. <laughs> how big is your church? Huge. Only Christ knows how many. Isn't that true? We're teaching the wrong thing, folks. We need to be teaching spiritual thinking. We need to be teaching spiritually, not academically, not debating. You know what? If you want to have a debate about what who Christ is, go to him. Debate it with him. You know, God even says in Isaiah, he says, come let us reason together. He didn't say go reason with 
Oprah or the Congress or something like that. You come to me. And you know what? He's given you his word right here. We have a group that's walking, as Ed said earlier, a whole lot of us. I've been amazed. A lot of people here are walking through the Bible together. And you know what? We're asking questions. We're saying things that we noticed that Christ gave us. Isn't that neat? You know, I, I wish everybody could be a part of that. I hope that you will become a part of that. And as a matter of fact, if you want to start that now, I'll start that group with you. But even if you don't want to be in a group, do it on your own. You've got to read what God gave us. You've got to read his word. Let's get back to what I'm... We've got to teach spiritual thinking, and we have to stop believing in numbers. And we have all kinds of polls. We have Christian polls running out. We can't say grace over all of them. It, it, that are bringing, bringing all these numbers, you know, things that they find, they fits into this box and this box and this box. And this. Let me tell you another thing I found when I, when I had a TV station. I used to pay every month, I paid Nielsen and Arbitron and all these names to come and poll the stations and tell me how many people are watching in certain minutes and all that kind of stuff. And you know how many, and this was in a market that had, we had about 1.7 million TV sets on at any given time. And you know how many of them they sampled? 50. Five zero. Now, I'm not going to go into the rest of that story because I proved how wrong all that was by the math. They were going to Aristotelian, mathematical, mechanical ways of measuring the number of people. We've done the same thing. And you know what? What difference does it make? Jesus is the one who knows the answer to that, how many hearts you've been reaching. So if you go to someone and, and you know, you can't beat them in the head with your 10-pound, beat them in the kingdom with your 10-pound Bible, okay, Jesus knows that. You know, there was one time when we were actually ministering to someone and, and he just got mad and blew up and all that. And you know what? I prayed, stopped and prayed, and my brothers joined me. And he said, Jesus said, get out of the way. You've done what I called you to do. Get out of the way. You work for me. You don't do it. Jesus does it. So what difference does the numbers make, folks? What do those numbers mean? I don't even want to know. All I want to do, all I want to hear is my Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's all I want to know, and that's all I want to hear. So forget the numbers. You know, if you go back through the Bible... The Bible, through church history and through the Bible, there's a, there's a doctrine. I read someone called it this one time. It's called the doctrine of the remnant. Jesus always took the smallest number and turns it into the biggest one. Sometimes he even used one person for his work. So the numbers don't really make any difference to us, do they? You want to know if you're doing a good job for him? Let him tell you. Is there joy in your heart for ministering to him? Okay. I think about it. Lord Jesus left the the whole church in the hands of 12 men. Whoa. Who are we? We seem to have forgotten that. You know, when it goes all the way through the New Testament, you know, I was reading, Ken the Nerd was reading about a guy, one of the the greatest martyrs in the person who stood alone in the church was Athanasius in the 4th century. And, And he actually stood against the whole church by himself. And he won. You know why? Because the church wasn't his head. The church that was institutionalized wasn't his head. It was Christ. Hmm. He's the head. So what matters in the church is not numbers, but our relationship with Jesus Christ.
That's it. And how pure our understanding is or how pure our doctrine is and the purity of our life and our living. Are you living out what Christ has taught you? Hmm, I hope so. I pray that that's the case. So the first question should be, are we filled with the life of the vine? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus said that in John 15. And we need to be connected to him if we're going to have his life and flowing through us and his power and his strength. So here's the thing. You know, I, I, and you may have heard this before, but this whole picture of the anatomy of the body of Christ, um, it's the head who acts. Did your hand tell your ear to listen? Hmm, your head did. You know what? Any part of the body that you have, that is we see here anatomically, you know, there has one head, and we get all of our instructions from that one head, and then we do what he says. We follow the head of the church. Well, I got to tell you, I know you you guys just ordained me or whatever it was in 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 December, but know this: Christ is the head of this church. It's not the pastor. The pastor is just the chief follower, the one who sees the vision. But Jesus Christ is the head. That's why we all have to be unified in him. And let me tell you something else. As the head, as the one who, who goes to Jesus Christ, you know, on, on, who's leading, who's in front of the line, that's really all I am, I make mistakes too. There's times when I might look away. Is there anybody in here that can't say that? You know, when we look away and we do something that's wrong, I want to be quick to come and say, you know what, I messed up here. Would you be willing to say that? Would you be willing to say, you know what, maybe I don't understand that right. Maybe I have messed up here. Maybe I haven't done something right. I want to be able to say that freely with you. Is that okay? Oh, it's not? Yeah? Good. I'm not trying to mess up. I just want you to know that too. So what my body is to me, the church is to the risen Lord. You know what? We can't make decisions on our own. And we can't have any one of us making decisions on our own. We have to go to him. How did this happen? How do we get so far away that, you know what, praying together, it's become a problem in the church, hasn't it? We can't just spontaneously, you know, some, some of us think we have to have the right words or we have to, you know what, what's in your heart? You know, I, I, there was a story at the church where we were serving before. A lady came in, she had a problem. She said, well, you know what? She came to the pastor and wanted him to pray over it and have him to fix it. And he said, Steve, Steve said, well, let's pray about it. And she said, oh, no, has it come to that? <laughs> True story. <laughs> You know, um, you know what? I don't want to be a part of a church that just has a lot of feverish activity. I want to be a part of a church that's responding to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, when Jesus, as the head, gives us something to do, it's his action, and we're just the vehicles that he uses to get it done, to get his action done, to get his work done, because he's the head. Okay. What my, what my body is to me, the church is to the risen Lord. You know what? My hand doesn't make its own decisions. Although as I've gotten older, it may, have, it may be thinking that, but, you know, it doesn't make its own decisions. 
The head is the one that makes the decisions. So now, the church is the body of Christ. So the questions we need to ask are, um, what is the nature and the character of our activities? Hmm, is that it? Uh, what is their spiritual value of what we're doing? Do they lead to spiritual results? <clears throat> See, the fact is that an active church uh, does not necessarily prove that it's right. Did you hear what I said? Just because the church is terribly active doesn't mean that it's doing the right thing. The church could be living on its own energy, doing things on its own initiative, doing everything on its own, and saying, well, it looks like Christ. Was that what Christ told them to do? That's a real question. I think it's time we stopped and do that, folks. I think it's time we stop and say, you know, are we unified as a church body in what we're doing? Are we unified in Jesus Christ? How did this happen? You know, I think people think, oh, we need to ask the question, so what do we do? No, we need to ask, who are we? Who is Jesus Christ in us? You know what? I can't have fellowship with someone who's not in Christ, right? We said that. So my question is not, what are, what are we doing? If it's in conflict... What we need to be asking is, am I in Jesus Christ? Are you in Jesus Christ? Then we can have fellowship, one, all of us together. Only when we're in Christ together or we're just in Christ. Jesus is still the one who decides and he's the one who acts. And we need to be asking, are we in him and what he's asking us to do? So we need to stop and evaluate us. That's what we need to do before we come to communion too, isn't it? Evaluate who we are in Christ. And then we can come together as a body of believers unified, taking the the Lord's Supper because he told us to, remembering him for what he did, unified in, in him and in Jesus Christ. Church needs reviving. I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about the whole church. It needs reviving. You know, Ken the Nerd actually did a study one time about, you know, the revival history, and that's a really great thing. If you ever want to go back and look at that, it's really important. But every time the church gets in problem, there's one person or maybe in a group of people or just a handful of people that stop, wait, stop and say, wait a minute, is this what Christ is leading us to do? And the institutionalized church always fights it. The last time we had a real revival of the whole church was somewhere in about the 1850s, uh, almost 200 years ago. It hadn't happened since then because we've institutionalized it and we've all approved of what we're doing instead of waiting on Christ to say, here's what I want you to do. We need a revival. Let me tell you what, if we're going to be a, a revived church, we have to be firmly bound to the head, just like our bodies are. Firmly bound. All of us doing what he says, not what we think is right. You know what, that's the call of the whole New Testament, isn't it? You know what it is? We need to be usable. Did you hear me? 
We need to be usable by him. Whatever your gift is or whatever Christ has given you to do, he wants you to be able to use you in doing his work, in doing his calling. If you look back through the history of these revivals, there's always one person or maybe a group that were brought together. And you know what the first thing they all had in common was? Every one of them that I found, they all struggled with Christ to begin with. They had a struggle finding out who they are. Think about Martin Luther. He stood up against the whole church, didn't he? And you've seen the movie. It's pretty close, I think, from what I've read. He struggled. But he struggled with Christ. And he was able to come before the whole Catholic church and say, you know what? It's by grace you have been saved. I get that from Jesus Christ himself in his word. And if that's not true, I stand here. Do whatever you want with me because Christ already has. Basically, that's where we need to be. We have a whole lot of culture around us that's leading us back to itself and its own decisions. And we need to be able to stand and say, I stand with Jesus. Do with me whatever you want. I stand with Jesus. He's my Savior. He's my head. And it's only his actions that I'm going to respond to in his way, according to his word, which he's given me. So you know what? I want us to pray as a body of believers that come to Jesus Christ, first of all, I want us to pray to him and fall before him and say, Lord, I wait on you. I am your servant. I belong to you. I want to do what you want me to do, but I'll wait. I'll wait on you. You can't force God to do anything and say, okay, Lord, I think we need to do this. So I'm asking you to bless my actions or my programs, actions, or my plan that I've made. That's what we've done with the church. We come together and we make all these great plans and tell you the truth. I have been a part of the worst of them making business plans for churches. That's horrible. That is horrible. The only plans that really matter are Jesus Christ. I'm pleading for you to pray in the name of God for revival in all the churches. And you know what, folks? By praying that, I'm praying that we're either, it starts here, or we're joining with other people who are bold enough to say the same thing. We belong to Christ no matter what. Christ is the said head. You know, he said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. I feed you and you only. Without me, apart from me, there is no life. The only life there is comes through Jesus Christ and through the, through the vine. And let's make sure that we are speaking in the truth and love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, and that is Christ. Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me? And here's the thing. We're going to pray together as a body of believers. I pray that each of us individually come to Jesus Christ and know his plan for us and what we are to do. And folks, when you pray that prayer for you, you're going to have some suffering. I can't find any place in history, in the Bible, 
in secular history and church history that the church, his people, come to him without suffering. I hate to tell you that because there's a whole lot of feel-good, get-rich churches out there on the Internet and on TV, for that matter. They've been there for a while. I'll tell you that, too. There's only one place. There's only one place for our life source, and that's Jesus Christ. So I want us to pray together and individually to him. Ask him, Lord, what would you do with me? I am yours. I want no other. I desire no other. Only you, Jesus, because I know you're my head. You're my sovereign head, the one who makes all the decisions, and I'm here to serve you. Would you pray that with me? Lord, for those of us who come before you right now, Lord, we confess that we've looked other places. Lord, we've looked at programs of morality, ethics, financial soundness, all those things, Lord. But, Lord, all we want is you. None of those things matter. And, Lord, institutions don't matter. We're your church. That's all that matters. Lord, we pray this prayer, knowing, confessing that we've done wrong things. And Lord, we want to just do whatever you tell us to do, your actions. Lord, hear our prayer. See our confession. And then, Lord, Fill us. You give us your life, Lord, to complete your work. And, Lord, we want all of this to be for your glory alone. No one deserves glory but you. Not a person here or anyone we know, only you. Lord, you be glorified in our actions from you. It's in your name we ask and pray. Amen.